If you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133, 133. After a couple months of more confusing texts like the wisdom literature and revelation, it's good to have something that's a little more straightforward. Psalm 133, it's on uh, page 6-something in 653 in most of the Bibles in the pews. 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The word of the Lord. Nice, short, and sweet. So Psalm 133, it's kind of, some of the Psalms were used as songs, some of them are just poetry, some of them are prayers, but Psalm 133 would have been used as a song. And I don't know about many of you, but there's kind of really only two places where people get together and sing together, like on a regular occasion, where they're united in song. One of them is church, but another one is just a concert. How many? I've been to a lot of concerts, and we all. And any of you who've been to concerts or even at church, you know that like singing a song with a bunch of people is one way that you can feel really closely connected with them, right? When someone next to you, when you're at the Sufjan Stevens concert and he's playing one of his deep cuts, and like, oh, the person next to me knows this one too. Like, we're the same person. It just is a really, a really deep way where you can be connected and united. And that's the context that I want to talk about in Psalm 133. You see, it would have been in the context of pilgrimage. Specifically, the pilgrimage that the Jewish people would have gone on, on festivals, on holidays. They would have gone from all over Israel and later from all over the Roman world, they would go and they would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, Mount Zion. And you can imagine large groups of people walking the road to Jerusalem. And they're walking together. And depending on the time of the year, the sun would be really hot, beating on them. But you know, it's probably not the heat that bothered them so much as all the walking and the smelly animals that people are taking. The smelly donkey that's walking right in front of you or all the smelly animals in Jerusalem that the vendors are selling so that you can have a sacrifice when you get to Jerusalem. Because why would you bring your lamb all the way from Bethsaida when you can just buy one at the temple? And think about, you know, maybe there's a guy named Joshua, and he's kind of distracted because Joshua, you know, he's traveling with his extended family, his brother Jacob's family, and they're worried about all their kids running around. And, you know, Joshua and Jacob, they've, they've grown up together, they work together, and Jacob just really gets under Joshua's skin. He really annoys, his younger brother really annoys him. Because, you know, Jacob, he's one of those, those parents who lets their kids run around all over the place, and Joshua has to look like the bad parent who tells his kids to stop running around, you know, just behave. And meanwhile, you know, maybe Joshua's wife, Martha, she's been walking for days as well, and, and, and she's, she's pregnant, so... 
She has to walk, pregnant, her ankles are swelling up, her lower back's hurting, and she sees the family that's, walking, that's been walking in front of them for the past couple of days who have this nice donkey, but they don't let Martha ride on it. She's just hoping maybe, you know, for an hour just so I can take a break. But they don't. The rich people have the donkey. They just kind of are in their own little world, not really concerned about anybody else. And maybe a different man in a, in a different group named Saul, he's looking over and he, and he hears this group of people and he turns and they don't look like all the other Jewish people that are traveling to Jerusalem. You know, because they're not speaking the same language. They're speaking in Greek. They're, they're one of, from one of those Roman cities and they're probably like Hellenistic. They probably like have adopted a lot of Roman culture. And even some of these Jewish people probably had their beard shaved, which was so disgraceful, Saul thinks. How could you be a Jewish man and not have a beard? I bet you they even work for the government, he's probably thinking. And as the people are making that long slog up to Jerusalem, which always seems perpetually uphill, a tune would start to begin naturally. You know, maybe it starts from one of the kids that are running around the groups of people going to Jerusalem. Or maybe it's one of those, you know, weird old happy men who just always are constantly humming tunes. But this, in, this song, it starts infectiously growing in the group. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's the song they'd be singing. They'd be singing this psalm, 131, or 133, and the psalm would just get louder and louder, and Martha, maybe she hears the, hears the song, and she starts singing along, and eventually she gets distracted from the pain in her ankles and lower back. And Martha sees that family in front of her, those rich, snobby people with the donkey. But, hey, look, they're singing too. And Jacob, you know, the younger brother of Joshua, he's always ready to sing. You know, a classic younger brother move. And he's, make, he's singing all goofy-like, making the kids laugh and making his older brother Joshua laugh as well, reminding Joshua of all the fun times him and his brother Jacob had growing up, working together and raising their kids. And even Saul, with that group of, you know, Hellenistic Jews, the liberal Jews, he sees that they're singing the song too. I thought only good traditional Jews knew that song. Well, Saul thinks if they know the Psalms, they can't, be all, they can't be that bad, right? Maybe we have more in common than he originally thought. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. We know, we, of course, of course it's a good thing to be together. Of course it's a good thing to be united. None of us None of us think that that's a bad thing. We agree with the psalm. It's a great thing. We want to be united with people. But we know that just being together doesn't mean that you're united. And we all know how hard it is to be united. You know, we just have to turn on the TV, turn onto a news station, look in the newspaper, and we can see how divided the country seems today. So I was looking at headlines of articles online this week, and I want to read a couple of them to you just to kind of see what, to prove my point. How America became so divided. Why is America so divided? America may be more divided now than during the time of the Civil War, and my personal favorite, 
Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook says he, fig- he worked out why the U.S. is so divided. Thanks, Facebook, for figuring that out for us. But whatever reason you or I or Mark Zuckerberg has, um, or what's causing this division, it's pretty clear that the country is a pretty divided place right now. And not just here in the U.S., we think about other parts of the world. Think about Great Britain and the Brexit vote that they had. Or think about Spain, the Catalonian referendum, the the fighting in the Middle East, rebels in the Philippines, tense elections in Sierra Leone. The world has become a divided place, ethnically, racially, economically, and physically. There's so much division, so much tension in the world right now. People are far from being united. And maybe you're thinking, so what? So the Bible says how good and pleasant it is when God's people, when brothers and sisters, in the new NIV translation, it says God's people live together in unity. What is important is that Christians are united. That Christians around the world are working together for God's kingdom. So, yeah, we want governments to run smooth. We, we want elections to go well. And we want representation for marginalized people. But the Bible is talking in this passage about the church. That's what's important. And I think, if, if that's your argument, that's, a, that's actually a really good point. But if we just step back for a second and we say, come on, is the church really more united? Is the church really better off than the rest of the world? Because sometimes it looks like the church is just as divided as the rest of the world. I looked up this week, if you would take Crescent CRC and you draw a circle, a half mile circle, there are about six to seven churches. There's one, I couldn't actually tell if it was actually a church anymore, but there's about six to seven churches in this one area, half a mile radius from Crescent CRC. And about half of them come from different traditions as us, and the other half come from similar traditions as we, as we come from. So that's just a half a mile radius. How many more churches, how many more denominations, how many more different traditions of the church are out there who split off because they couldn't be united They couldn't agree on the same things. Are we as God's people, the people of God, really living together in unity? How can we be united when we have so many different traditions? So many different churches. Churches with people who all believe such different things. Churches of people who fight over political issues or what time the service needs to be or how we understand communion or baptism, whether or not the carpet needs to be changed, what, carp- what color the carpet needs to be. There's so many things that could divide us. There's so many things, so many reasons that the church can, be, can separate So it makes it really hard for us to imagine why, or imagine this perfectly united people of God living together in unity. 
It's really hard to imagine that picture. But we know that unity is more than just singing together. So the person at the Sufjan Stevens concert who I connected with because we sang the same song, yeah, okay, we were, we were united, but have I ever met, talked to that person ever again? Absolutely not. And sure, Psalm 133, it would have been used to unite the people on their way to Jerusalem. It would have united them. But Jewish people, they already have a lot in common already. You know, they had a similar culture. They had a similar language. They had similar religious practices. And so they would have been singing the psalm on the way to a common cause. it's, It's not that hard for Jewish people to be united in worship. But they did have that common cause, that worship at the temple. So singing this song of unity, it would have been easy for them. But the psalm is talking about unity with God's people. People living together in unity. And there are the two metaphors from this first verse that are actually a little bit kind of interesting when you think about them. Why these two things in talking about unity? Why oil and why dues? It doesn't, so let's, exp, let's look at those a little bit more. So in the, in the second verse, unity is like oil running down someone's head and their face. Or in, in the next one, unity is like dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. And you see, it's showing us that unity is connected with worship. What are the images? The anointing of the high priest Aaron, the one who is instilled to lead the people in worship of God. Mount Zion, the place where people worship. It's like being united is like dew falling on Mount Zion, where people worship. You know, you sing songs like Psalm 133, and that can unite us as people of God. Jewish people, they went to the temple to worship. They worshiped on Mount Zion. They worshiped under the direction of the high priest who had been anointed, who had been called out by God to connect the people in worship to their Lord and Savior. Worship unites God's people. It's essential and it's vital. Like water that comes down from the mountain, the image shows us that unity is important and that unity is connected with worship. But the image doesn't just show show us that unity comes from our worship. Like, in order to be united, we have to do the worshiping. We, the unity comes from within us. No, the unity isn't about what we do. It's about what God is doing. So I want to look at this, the images again in a different light. So unity is like oil running down Aaron's head, his beard, making a mess all over his collar. And unity is like if all the dew and rain that fell on Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. See, Mount Hermon is the, is the mountain up north, the mountain where the Jor- that, that, that receives all the rain and that fills the Jordan River. 
Okay? So picture people in Jerusalem in a fairly dry place. They only, it only rains like about 20 inches of rain in Jerusalem. Not a ton. And Mount Hermon receives 50 inches of rain. And that's what unity is like. Unity is like God pouring out oil onto his anointed priest, letting it drench his head and his beard and get all messy all over his clothes. Unity is like if all the rain that, that flooded the Jordan River would come pouring on Jerusalem, drenching all the worshipers in the water and the rain, like one of those, like when you get caught in a hot summer rainstorm, one of those really powerful rainstorms, and you're just soaked, you know, like you're drenched to the bone almost. That's the unity that God is, is, is telling his people. That is what living together is like. That is what being united is like. Being covered with that sticky, slimy oil covering our heads until, or being soaked in a rainstorm that's soaking into your hair, soaking into your clothing, soaking into your bones, being united as God's people. The unity of God that he pours out on his people when they come and worship. Unity from God as a blessing from him. It seems like that unity, though, hasn't really soaked in to the Christian church as much as we wanted it to. You know, like, how, so how are we Christians meant to be united? Living together, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Has it, has it been poured out on us? Is it like, has it been sticking to our hair, beards, and clothing? Has it drenched us in unity? You see, we don't worship together with other traditions all that much. We section ourselves off in different denominations and traditions. You know, we, we split apart when we believe different things. You know, we've been doing that for a long time in our history. This year, this past year in October, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the day when the Catholic and the Protestant church, a church like ours, split. In some ways, we're celebrating the breaking, the, the, the non-unifyingness of the church. So the church has a pretty long history of not being united. But Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, I'll read it for us. It shows us God's purposes. He, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, the churches, the Christian church is divided in a lot of ways. They believe certain things, some churches believe certain things on this topic, other churches believe certain things on that topic. And there are a lot of ways in which we're divided, but one way in which we are united as God's people living together in unity is we are united in Christ. See, the final verse of Psalm 133 says, For the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. People of God, 
there are many things that can divide us. There are many ways we are not united between the church universal and even here at Creston. But we have been united together by Christ. We've been united together in Christ, our great high priest that God has anointed, the living water that soaks us in his unity. Like the Jewish people, we too are united with God as God's people in worship to him. And what are some of the ways in which we come to worship and we're united? Well, I think like the water of unity that drenches the people of Jerusalem, that drenches them when they worship, we are united to Christ and to each other with water as well in in our baptism. Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Sure, many churches, we have different beliefs on what baptism should look like, but the water of baptism is still considered important for all Christian churches. The water of baptism is something that continues to unite us as God's people. It unites us to each other and to our great high priest, the living water, Jesus Christ. And think about last week, Friday. We were at New City Church right over there, gathered, Creston CRC, New City Church, Fourth Reformed Church, three churches that have differences, some differences that maybe aren't that big of a deal, other differences that are actually a pretty big deal. And we were able to come together in worship, to unite as God's people, And what was one of the things that we did in that worship? Sure, we sang songs like Psalm 133, but we also were united together at the table of God. We celebrated communion together, another way in which we are united. Sure, not all three of these churches, we probably agree the same things about communion, about the Lord's Supper. But... We are united in the act of communion. We are united at God's table in the spiritual presence of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Sure, we, don't, we live together in unity, but we don't agree on everything. That's okay because we are united as the body of Christ. The body that comes to the table to feed on Christ's body, to drink his blood. It is as essential as rain that comes down. It's essential as the food that God gives us. And we're going to do that again this morning. Being united in worship to our Lord and Savior. The great high priest, the living water who sacrificed himself so that we can be united in him and united to each other. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you today, Lord, knowing that there's so much to be divided on, to be divided as a people in this world, but to be divided as Christians in your church, Lord. But we know that the unity that you speak of does not come from something inside us, but it comes from you, Lord. You bestow that blessing upon us. You provide us 
signs and symbols where we can see that unity. A unity that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. A unity that doesn't mean that we're without conflict, but a unity that is deeper than those things. A unity that is in you, Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you please